So joining me from Adventures in Movies is Nathaniel Moore and Blake Heath. Welcome. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much for having us on. Anytime. I'm your host, Sully, and we are going into all of our favorite cinematographer turned filmmakers, and that is Jen DeBont, a Dutch filmmaker who is best known for working on several movies pre and post fame for Paul Verhoeven, as well as James Foley's Who's That Girl, Ridley Scott's Black Rain, two-timer with John McTernan on Die Hard and Hunt for Red October, Joel Schumacher's Flatliners, and Richard Donner's Lethal Weapon Free. He's just got a thing for a vision and <laughs> been doing all these exciting movies. <laughs> And let's not forget Leonard Part Six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you gotta have your good-looking duds in there. I mean, he's worked <laughs> twice with Louis Teague on yeah. Romantic the Stone Two and Cujo. So there you go. And Ruthless People, which actually I think uh, did... oh, I, I love Ruthless People. Yeah, Everybody I think it's like that one. <laughs> done by the airplane guys. I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Uh, private lessons. Ooh, risque. isn't it so wild though how i mean he does all these other kind of cult movies like blue movie which is still the date one of the highest grossing most attended films in dutch film history 2.3 million (laughs) wow (laughs) a risque film and it's called that but i just find it even so funny how he does a few other exploitations and slasher films when he comes in here but for the most part he's doing he's like being He's just so diverse, being asked for any kind of thing from a period piece like Shining Through to uh, just other just well-known mystery and action movies. It, he shoots probably the most boring Tom Cruise movie. Uh, all all the right moves just very, very well, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things that stood out when we started talking and we were talking about what we were going to You Let me know uh, what options we had for the show. And I was looking up each person, and um, I'll be honest, full disclosure, I actually was not familiar with the name uh, Jean Debont. And then I looked at his filmography, and then the name, I mean, you listed some of the names that stood out him as a cinematographer, but then, I mean, he directed Speed and Twister, and there, there's a there's a Tomb Raider movie in there that he did. So immediately yeah. I was like, wow, I, I need to, this is the person I want to talk about because it's so varied. But it was also really familiar. It took unpredictable and yeah, very just, just something for everybody, as opposed to okay, what do we do when we get up to this person? And now they're going downhill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I was talking to Blake about it, and I was telling him like, yeah, he did Speed and Twister, and I was like, plus he's done some genre stuff like Cujo. This Cujo, mm-hmm. this guy's this guy's really out there. The endless. The biggest thing that caught my eye was how Michael Chapman, who had worked for Ivan Reitman and Martin Scorsese as a cinematographer was also a prolific director and he had him you know uh, you know as a cinematographer on Planet of the Cape Bear and All the Right Moves and then just plenty of other movies here I mean have you seen any of Verhoeven's earlier you know Dutch work before he came to America <laughs> no I have not, <laughs> I have not. it's I'm no actually... I know it's not I'm, I'm not here to shame it's very common like the most I'll hear people say is like Flesh and Blood or um even his more recent ones like benedetta but it's just you know it if you want to find them they're very expensive criterion dvds like freaking gotcha. you know, the fourth man is just so hypnotic and 
Turkish Delight is going to divide its audience, but then when you see, you know, how, you know, Verhoeven just makes so much more better sense and then makes you realize just what stuff just does not translate to America audiences, you know, with his good for better or worse, you know, and right. uh, Turkish Delight, um, because that's the one with Rutger Hauer, right? Yeah, very promiscuous. Oh, okay. I've seen Turkish Delight too. Yeah, that one. Oh, okay. Seen. And then uh, Benedetta, and I know John went, uh, John didn't didn't do anything with that one, but yeah, I saw that just... one, and that one's super underrated. I think I thought that was a very very good movie. But uh, oh, totally. There were even some critics who were still making outrageous remarks, and it's like, you guys seriously don't know what you're talking about. Like they're they were reacting like they were like you know. Like when Basic Instinct came out, like there were, you know, the Bond shoots that very well, but like there was like one group of people who got it, and there was another group who were like, well, I mean, it was fun, but it was kind of shocking and pretentious, you know, and it sounded like they were the latter on this. And they're like, he's doing more of his shocking stuff. I'm like, I mean, you can, but you shouldn't really compare him to say, you know, like he's, you can compare him maybe to Joe Dante or Sam Raimi, but only by like, a mile like he's a so still a very different kind of cynic or satirist so to speak you know compared to some of those guys who are doing other kinds of goofy stuff but they're doing the goofy just to get your attention and then you know hit you with a plot twist it's and i think bont kind of followed that same deal uh, so he was interviewed a year ago on two years going technically now but in the time this episode lands um uh, with on talking pictures podcast and he just seemed like a delight with how he just pretty much outlined how he didn't worry too much about the script so much as he did just uh having to tell his actors where to be in the moment you know just act naturally and i just loved how he kind of just hit on that how all his uh, without naming too many names he named pacino as one example is like actors who just grew up adoring and then the more they got famous the more he couldn't stand them on screen he's just like <laughs> if you have to yell in a scene you're probably not all that powerful you're net you're just you got a sense of falseness to you so i just was really encouraged by that because you look at all his adventure movies and you're just like yeah that there anyone else would have gone way too overboard with that that would have been like anyone else would have probably had it be their fast and furious type you know movie that uh, people either accept in a mindless way or reject you know and he just has a way of just like i gotta organize everything but when i'm dealing with the actors i want them to just be you know less flamboyant and more just kind of and just natural beats and strides. <laughs> well, right, and I and I would even go so far as to say, like, I, I think he uses the action in his movies as as the main character. You know, right? He like, yeah, as, as, a direct, a as a director, yeah, yeah. I mean, as a director, look at his big movies, and it's like it's literally tornadoes and a bus that's hauling ass. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, you know, so yeah. yeah, you're not you're not giving the actors a whole lot to work with if if those are your main features, and you know, yeah, obviously there there's some there's there's some good acting direction I'm sure in there. I but, think it all came from Roar, yeah. which has been a rediscovered movie, best known for mm. you know Tippi Hendren being attacked by lions, and because he was the cinematographer, he got attacked, and they used that image of the injured crewman as the selling point on the poster. Shit, there you go. That would have made funny. me do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think he just got used to that because he's not like a method actor or even like a Michael Mann or Tony 
or Ridley Scott type where he's going to be, you know, on set for like 48 hours before some crew member finally shifts their pants or complains and says, I got to go home and get three hours of sleep. You know? Right. Right. And he, yeah, he doesn't like you say, come off as that self-indulgent or like you say, like the villain has to be a typical kinds. Like in this case, it's a supernatural element. <laughs> Yeah, and his uh, like what you mentioned about the story makes a lot of sense, and this kind of ties into what Blake said, like, like speed, like, like Blake said, it's it's about a, a a bus that's going really fast, and then Twister, it's yeah, tornadoes the bus is the her. absolute yeah, and then Twister villain. gives you tornadoes and um, evil storm chasers. Like, I definitely <laughs> saw Sister probably when I was around seven or eight, vaguely remembered it. My parents were watching it, I think, because it was just on TV and. It just so was very hypnotic. Twi- it's twi- I, Twister was lot. like a movie they showed a lot to us in high school for whatever reason. Like, like we had downtime, it was like yeah. put on, put on twist. And I got very bored midway through, but yeah. I, it's due for a rewatch. But I mean, it's it's not a movie I like actively hate, even though there are some implausible elements. I think he has a way of just kind of just showing how oddball it is, and so it doesn't feel like a just too implausible of a movie if that makes sense you know because like there's so many other filmmakers they will just ignore everything and just focus on the actors <laughs> he wants to focus on the staging of everything i mean andres bartosiak was his cinematographer on speed and i don't think that man has done too many good movies in all honesty like romeo must die and doom and <laughs> just like uh, he he seems to occasionally get you with stuff like the devil's advocate but then i see his cinematography which he got a claim for on sydney lemay i'm like yeah no jandabont that was a jandabont production all the way you know when it came to him collaborating on speed and i think that's just it like it, it is interesting seeing him you know interviewed how you know he was he's been an executive producer on so many projects which he would start but ultimately not be involved with and he pretty much just noted in that in- same recent interview he's like i think i got out at the right time because now you know enjoy uh, he he says it in a he tries to be as neutral as he can he's like hey you know enjoy what you want but for the rest of us there just feels like there's a sense of falseness with today's blockbusters <laughs> I, I think that's very interesting too because um everyone else just seems to be the oh, oh fuck all the boomers and all the, some of the other boomers you know, and, and it's also it. interesting <laughs> it's interesting to me that uh speed two that he worked on that's one of the only i think that's the only thing he has a story credit for and it wasn't very he well still received. defends it and yet the story is just very clumsy i can kind well, of understand he, what he's going for with it but i think just because Jason Patrick is just too method and stuck up of an actor and Sandra Bullock wanted to do it for the paycheck. I think he just had the wrong ingredients and just a cruise ship. It should have been, I don't know, maybe a motorboat show or something. (laughs) I don't think of speed when I think of cruise ship. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Right. Well, he also did, he never did another story after speed Two, And then he got out of the business after that Tomb Raider movie. um, And he just, he seems like a person who knows, when it's time to get out and i can respect a person who knows their limitations did you ever like, hear the story of how he was originally supposed to work on minority report yeah yeah and there's and there's, there's so quite funny. a number the, of problems the article yeah. was how he stole it from his mentor paul and <laughs> it was meant to be a total recall sequel and he's like hey i want some of what paul's doing here in hollywood <laughs> and then they they disputed over the tone and everything and the star and i think that's what he got stuck up on the most is like 
why are we arguing about actors any actor is great you know <laughs> yeah i right. was reading that hollywood is kind of upset with him because of like budgetary issues like he tended to go over budget or his shooting style would lead to being over, over budget am i right on that no that's what i read about tomb raider like after the like um they told him after the first day of shooting i think they were like good job we're by the way we're cutting the budget 12 million and he was like wait a minute like we're not oh <laughs> so i think Paramount that budgetary things. <laughs> is definitely to blame for that because in that same podcast series they interviewed steven need souza you know writer you know here's a connection writer of die hard and uh you know every other awesome blockbuster ricochet adventure inc not ringing a bell no 48 no. hours well, the movies do, but yeah, not the, the movies, but not yeah, the, not the man. Just, yeah. He wrote every other awesome Joel Silver kind of production for the longest time, gotcha. including one of the gotcha. favorite Tells from the Crypt episodes. And he was talking about, it's like, I technically worked on both Tomb Raider movies, and I only got credit for the second one, just because it all <laughs> it had to do with the safari. And they're just very stuck up about descriptions and actions. And it's like, well, it's, it's our words, but the, you know, the Writers Guild just doesn't seem to have anyone's back it seems like the director's guild is just better at reinforcing stuff even though with recent scandals like the brian singer one it is bullshit how whoever starts it gets the credit i'm like no they only worked you know two months on it before being fired that does not count <laughs> and that's one of the reasons i was interested in talking about this person is because um well as you mentioned writers and directors get a lot of credit um we just did a movie on um avengers and movies um trick-or-treats from 1982 and there's this one scene oh, awesome. that seems, it seems completely out of place, but it's basically two women who are their editors in a movie. And basically all they're doing is complaining and stating how directors get all the credit, but they don't do any of the work. And um, exactly. Or and that's how I felt I mean, about the this. second unit guys shoot all the stunts and, you know. <laughs> right like I, I i couldn't name a, a cinematographer off the top of my head like i can name a whole bunch of directors and i even looked up like best uh best cinematographers today and the very first thing that appeared on google was if i'm a filmmaker what cine who which cinematographer should i look for so it's very much uh they're the people who put a lot of their vision into the mm -hmm. movies because when you watch the movies any movie you're like oh how did that look or you'll tell people how it looks and then why did they go talk about that how much of that mean? was them picking it versus the director saying you're doing a good job sport so right exactly <laughs> well, like in Roger the summer the big has been pretty well known recently for his work on no country for old men and skyfall but i'm getting really annoyed by that because i'm like guys you know <laughs> he's not the first but i just saw so many other people like they instantly knew him i'm like is this the first time you've actually paid attention to a cinematographer? <laughs> well, like uh, Nope just released, right? And, and one exactly. of the main characters in Nope is a cinematographer, which yeah, you know, that's a fun that's, play on that. I know? think that's Jordan Peele kind of paying homage to the to the craft. <laughs> I and think it's a lot of them do. It just seemed like for a while, unless you were like a movie guy who already broke the fourth wall, no one really just gave a shit about it. They're like, oh, what's he do? It's, I mean, Moro Fiore, you know has worked with the likes of Peter Berg and Antoine Fuqua and even Michael Bay. And, you know, I've been a fan since training day, but when he got the Oscar for Avatar, he just had to kind of be just straight up. He's like, well, thank you for giving me this award, but I didn't do any of that shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of screen. funny, the Nope and Jordan Peele, it's really ironic because I think Jordan Peele was trying to give a shout out to cinematographers, but uh, the, the debate for a few weeks in the summer was a, uh, 
you know, who's the best horror director, Jordan Peele, Mike Flanagan, Dave Bruckner, wh- whoever you want to go with. But no one was saying who's the best horror <laughs> cinematographer. <laughs> there was that. There was even who's good with suspense and everything. And it seems like everybody has to be labeled or compared to each other. And when, when I do comparisons to people, I'm just trying to give a description of kind of who was on the same kind of shortlist or uh, blacklist, so to speak. You know, it's just who was being brought up in almost the same sentence, like who was the second or fifth pick and they were on, they were like ripped by that same agent, you know, it just, and Devont kind of just, I mean, he still defends his version of the haunting, you know, I think it's an okay <laughs> movie. I think it's just kind of the ending that drags it down and I just can't stand Owen Wilson, but at least he gets decapitated. But you know. <laughs> Oh, that movie's a pile of shit, but I love that movie. It was on TNT often in the mornings throughout the early 2000s and I just didn't know what to think of it because I would just always see all the shocking moments midway through, you know, and flipping. Yeah, Pete, Pete Catherine Zeta-Jones. So. Oh yeah, she was delightful. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean... It was also just another one where basically, I mean, I think without it, Amblin wouldn't have produced The Haunting of Hill House, different version. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. But it you is never weird. have too many versions of that. Movie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think this version, its main issue is just its pacing. It's just kind of it's trying to do too much. And I can see why Debont might be angry because he's like, "Hey, I wasn't. I was doing a different adaptation. I wasn't doing a remake of, you know, Robert Wise's original one." <laughs> yeah, no, that's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's talent. And I know we were talking about this earlier, but the fact that he directed or he worked on a movie that has a Madonna in it, but then you can also go with something with Sharon Stone, and they're both unique in their own ways. They don't look alike in the I think that really, it, it when I when I was looking at his filmography, it made me it really made me want to look into other cinematographers because it's something that I overlook. And uh, looking at, I mean, his resume is just no, so it's impressive. all good. But okay, so I say this with like any others, like because kind of just like how all the recent controversies and other stuff that we've been doing is so systematic. Like people like to be told what to think, and they like to get into arguments for the sake of arguments and social media is not helping in fact it's basically technology at its worst (laughs) oh don't worry elon musk will clear all of that up Um, (laughs) don't get me started but uh, you know it's like we we were always kind of like it would just kind of always come up like when we we mentioned the movie you know it's kind of like with the record album everyone wanted to mention like the first you know five hits from it you know and it's like well what about all the other ones they're not radio hits but i love them you know even if they're b-side and same thing with movies it's like everyone is like written by directed by and it's like well you're forgetting makeup stunt coordinator you know uh a gaffer you know there's my favorite's always produced by the people that brought you it's like yeah yeah. so people with money cool (laughs) people with money who did it (laughs) And when we were talking James Cameron, we joked about it. This is like, yeah. And then every movie had to look and sound like T2 or True Lies, but they didn't know why it was good. They just thought, hey, <laughs> just make it big and epic. I'm like, yeah, yeah. plot, plot. And but when you see how every other movie that starred, you know, Will Smith would go in without a script, you just like, uh, that's where it really got me thinking. It was like, okay, so you can't compare like an indie film to a big budget movie. You can compare maybe say a movie made for like maybe ten thousand to two million if it's just as good. 
like Marco Lester was kind of acclaimed for a bit because he was, and even Anthony Hickox, because they were able to make movies that would premiere on HBO and make it look just as good as some of the stuff that they were producing for, you know, New Line Cinema and, and Lionsgate, you know, back when they were theatrical. It's like, there's some people who can handle any kind of look and make it stand out regardless of the format. But then there's other ones where it's like, yeah, no, it's just, I can't compare some of these movies to other movies because there's such a different visual or narrative look to it all. <laughs> and We'll return after these messages. Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, for instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. J no, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous, I don't even know where to Anyways, uh, that'll do it from all of us here at Culture Shock. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy, you gotta sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in, it's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the U.S. We are in the U.K. We are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. Blindknowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. Uh, when you see all these fuckers just digging around and it doesn't matter how many millions that they were, you know, you know, chewing off, you know, it's just like that they were just wrong for the part. 
you know, and you don't know how much of it is half the time until years later, you know, was that actor or actress really just a demon from hell, you know, on every day on set, or was it just the studio giving notes and all you had to say was just an acknowledgement and the director just said the wrong word and boom, got kicked off. You know, what is it? <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, you know, I would love to see, cause uh, on our show, we talk about a lot of indie films. I would love to You're see good. what, I would love to see what he could do with like a like a um, a modern indie film because um, I mean his resume is so so diverse. I mean um, he did like uh, there was two that were really interesting that I thought that were back to back. Oh, Leonard Part Six and Die Hard. Like <laughs> there's no there's no like common they don't look alike in any way whatsoever. Or flight 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 yes, Lethal Weapon straight. Three. <laughs> Like Flatliners and Lethal Weapon Three, like so he obviously and you talked about Dario Argento as well and his use of blood compared to how you know Scorsese uses it, you know? <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, I'm well, and it's like it's an interesting point, like you said, just Patrick in that very short period of time right there, right before he starts like doing some real stuff with the names on it that you really recognize, Basic Instinct, etc. Like he directed or he was a part of Madonna of music videos. That was like the large part of what he did in the years leading up to all that stuff. So I, I, he must have just made amazing connections too, right? That has to be part of this. Like, how, how do you? Just, how does? How does he get so stunning. much good work? Yeah, yeah. And how, so, are you familiar with these videos? I'm not, but I'm a I'm I'm sure they are. If Madonna was picking them, she was very you know into aesthetic. So it's got to be interesting, right? And, and and Fincher got did a lot. Of, um, well, he did Vogue, which is. Mm. So she has an eye for talent. I'm assuming that Madonna is out there handpicking her directors, yeah. <laughs> which which isn't which isn't a, a far leap, right? Yeah, no, I could see it. <laughs> I love Madonna. Who doesn't? <laughs> Sully, so, apparently. <laughs> I mean, um, altogether. Um, what was it about his visual look that you think appeals to you the most? I kind of like how he just kind of gaffs in just very bright outdoor scenes. Cause there's so many others who kind of are at their best often when they just got static shots and they're going through just, uh, shall we say just, you know, darkly lit stuff in addition to whatever effects or actors on screen. And he seems to be just kind of all just in the moment, like just very catchy, just even just city shots. Yeah, no, he he's got a great knack for um uh, giving you lots of action and lots of and context while the action's happening, but not overwhelming you with cuz sometimes action sequences like I would I'd have you see early like the Underworld movie or something like that where oh, you know the God. action scenes are cool, <laughs> but you can't make out anything that's happening where you know, I'd say in all his movies, you know, they're not all super action action packed. There's downtime in most of them. But when there's action, it's easily consumed. You know, it's not, it's not boggling your your vision and mind to understand what's happening. So I would say that's my favorite part of what he's done. Um, and it's, it's kind of amazing that I did not. Yeah, I mean, I knew who he, I've heard the name, I guess. But I'm shocked that like two of the movies I watched the most growing up and enjoyed the most, Speed and Twister. No shit, no shit. Um, I had. It's kind of amazing. I didn't really know who fucking directed those movies until, <laughs> until now. But yeah, it was before we actor. started, you know, caring, you know, when we had all the Rob yeah. Zombies and Rennie Harlan's of the world. And I'm just like, yeah, no, sorry. I'm glad you guys like it. I will always dislike them. I have never liked them. You know, and <laughs> I, I like Zombie as of 
you know fun new metal guy but i yeah but there's just others which it just gets even more annoying to have to just kind of explain to others it's like hey you know they're on this but you know it's a director is just like a record producer they're just the creative outlet but they're not doing everything they're heavily involved sure but you know <laughs> uh, the, the guy who did you know this the bus jump in speed you know was also you know i read a stunt book you know it was the same one doing the you know uh, the untouchables you know baby carriage sequence and <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Which uh, was unfortunately they kind of underreport a lot of that. You know, he did the Broken Arrow second unit directing. So it's just like there's so many guys uh, where it's like they've been around for years, but no one, you know, not everyone goes for the credits. I don't know why you wouldn't want to go for the credits because I mean, you got Billy Idol's speed playing over the credits, but I'm saying, you know, I'm just... <laughs> I think that what, what Blake said about uh, Devon being um, in the moment is so true because. The, yeah speed it takes place all during well it's one trip and it's very well lit um whereas something like the hunt for red october it's a little darker uh flatliners there's a lot of scenes where they're not very well lit and not everyone can Aww. make that switch between uh <laughs> you don't like how flatliners looks <laughs> i love the look of them that's and that's what i like about him is that he's able to go because not everyone is there's some scenes where there's some movies where it's shot in the dark and or it's a it's in a whatever it's in a haunted house or whatever and it looks really good but then as soon as they're out during the day it's like it looks really plain and it kind of takes away from the mystique of it whereas in his movies the ones that he shoots like whether it's speed or speed two or whatever the case or and it's brightly lit it looks good or whether it's something like leonard part six where he's on the moon i think but even that one's actually brightly lit so i think flatliners is a better example maybe it's reshoots not matching it up i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but he he can it, like like blake was saying about being in the moment he's really good with doing that because that's not something you see in every movie oh yeah there's and to their credit you got to go where you got to go and got to take it with a grain of salt i mean i'm sure whoever shoots say something like a fast and furious or transformers movie you know they're going to get just as much acclaim as they are hate mail you know it's just it, and it seems like he's been able fortunate enough to work on a bunch of different projects where it's like yeah they are all very emotionally involving uh, blockbusters they're not just uh you know uh, set for uh uh yeah, you know what I mean? Like, they're not just, uh, you know, make sure this scene looks amazing. You know, they do right. want to actually serve the story. They are getting in visual cues. I see it even a lot on TV stuff. A lot of the ones who are like the main producers and directors on it get a lot more say on, you know, uh, making the otherwise typical mystery very more suspenseful with lighting and uh, other fun shifts like. Uh, I'll, especially on some of the spy and other procedurals, I'll see some pretty cool stuff that's not just the billionth, you know, steady cam or tracking shot. They'll do something else, like uh, have some moody lighting on one guy's concealed face. You know, <laughs> right? And I, I think that I wonder how involved he is with the uh, storyboarding of shots because uh, Kujo... I can't imagine him not having one. You know, because the. Um... I, that's 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 where i'm at when i work on an indie film if you cannot give me a shot list or a storyboard or even a distribution plan you know you're not worth my time like there's just so many others who just they will think all day and it's like okay you've just burned up two hours 
this whole crew is thinking of a reason to get off this project now you know right yeah we, we were they don't just even talking trust you to pay them on time you're so bad you know <laughs> yeah we were we were talking with uh lucky mckee on the show and he was talking about the importance of storyboarding or not storyboarding but um cujo is like there's so many awesome shots in that from when yeah uh, cujo first gets bitten even when you don't the, see the monster yeah, the tracking shot when the the family and I forget their name when they're in the car in the uh, I believe it's a junkyard, and then Cujo is it's kind of a Cujo point of view where he's coming at them, yeah, but and but then he comes from the other side of the car in this mm-hmm. really awesome jump scare moment, just such great and maybe the best shot he's ever done. He's very clever, good. super clever, yeah. super good, and and it's been copied like countless times since. But um, I want to say that's the first time that they did that sort of misdirection, but just just a well-shot movie that again uses uh in the moment because that's shot during the day just really good stuff oh don't worry because there's just so many other movies and shows that you'll see and you'll wonder but how much involved were they you know was it just you know and and i think we're just having to even remind you know when, when we saw blockbusters that were dead in the water before they even came out and flopped, you know, like Heaven's Gate and Waterworld, you know, now it's even worse. Now there's always just like some TMZ guy showing a Christian Bell type, you know, meltdown and movies are even more bad at flopping. Just people, you know, now people are even more prickly about, you know, trailers and what have you because they're not in studio anymore. And it just seems yeah. like we're now just to this point where uh you know how do we get something to appeal to us and how do we uh well it's uh, heavy you know. scrutiny it's it's very heavy scrutiny on every little thing that happens um bros that just came out and and the producers and all of them will tell you that it didn't do well in the box office at all even but, though they're um, scheduling it knowing damn well they're going out with competition it's the same thing with ratings we didn't have good ratings i'm like well you rescheduled it three different times so you clearly wanted to move it from your schedule right but and, but none of the talk is around that it's more about well it's deals with these themes and then there's people talking about the marketing of it and then they're comparing it to similar movies that have been released on streaming versus uh bros which is a which is the mainstream movie um which yeah. I, I don't know if that's an insult towards streaming movies but um well streaming yeah. is even more annoying because i'll see people say i don't watch made for tv direct video movies i'm like well that's basically what streaming is and yeah that doesn't play in a theater you know it's that's where it's going and it's not it wasn't always bad you know in between all the goofy you know <laughs> films that you know were made for half a million dollars that had kickboxing and killer puppets you know it's just like there was plenty of others it's like yeah, it was pretty solid but you know it was there to fill time and you like to see someone work against their typical formula you know and i don't know it just seems like now we're to the point where you know everyone just wants to just off with its head it's on a guillotine you know (laughs) yeah like there used to be very clear tiers there was the movies that came out in the theaters and then there was straight to video movies and in the early days of streaming that's how it was but now you have you know you have these big you still have the oscar bait that comes out in theaters but then you also have leonardo dicaprio coming out in netflix movies too so the idea of straight to video is done um streaming movies are are just as viable as anything that comes out in theaters which is why i think it'd be really interesting to see devon or even someone who has a similar talent uh do streaming and mainstream movies because 
they're both on an equal playing field now, even financially in some cases. So it would be nice to see someone who has this sort of repertoire be able to bring that to stream. Because, I mean, for as much money as Netflix makes, let's face it, they they have some really shoddily shot movies. Even their best oh, movies. Yeah. Like, it, it's Did really you watch strange. Resident Evil Tell stuff? me cheaply shot yeah. in like Atlanta or uh, New Orleans. I'm already just like, nope. You know, like I'm yeah. probably going to hate this. There's other shots that I don't see that people claim they saw. And it's like, I can't blame it. If you've been looking at a bunch of red camera footage, it does get pretty old pretty fast at times. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And staying on that track of like what he would be doing now, my question posed to both of you is you got to pick a property for Lebant or Debont here to, to redo, to remake. Bont on. <laughs> yeah, get his Bont on. What property <laughs> would you like Bont to Bont his Bont all over? To Bont all over? The, <laughs> yeah. What's the ones with Chris Hem- Hemsworth? The, the Extractor? Is that what it is? I hated that movie so much, <laughs> uh, but I love the old guard. <laughs> it's... it's uh, See, and I'm the re- re- reverse. I wasn't a big fan of the old guard, uh, even though I like Charlize Theron. Um, but uh, Extractor, I thought, was just silly fun. And oh. which is what a lot of these movies are. I didn't find it fun. <laughs> <laughs> but what do I I mean, that's also kind of the joy, too, is like now you get like an instantaneous reaction. I like how like mainstream critics will still review them because, you know, they're accessible anywhere. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, a wheelman is probably one of the better of the movies that like premiered at south by southwest and then was like a netflix original movie but i mean apple seems to have figured it out and just find one that you know take over a24's library and then just do ones that you know just would you would want to see in some kind of capacity as opposed to you know on it being based on the day or your attention span Uh, you're all wrong. You, you, the correct answer was Smokey and the Bandit. So, <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> that, that would be fucking amazing. There's nothing you can tell me. Glad I was able to bore you. Now, while you're looking at it. <laughs> oh man, I was yeah, just setting man. up my own jokes. At least, <laughs> yeah. That you know, it would be nice. If, the question would be who would play Smokey nowadays, or not Smokey the Bandit. I mean, with all the they're remaking Roadhouse now, so it's only a matter of time. They did a terrible Dukes of Hazard back in the 2000s with the Super Troopers guys, and uh, that that was death on arrival. So, I mean, I think you got to make the cop a stud. You got to like Zach Efron that guy up. <laughs> yeah, but the but the mustache. I don't care yeah. as long as long as they don't remake Die Hard because it would be lame. Oh, it's happening because oh, it's they've happening. only redone uh, yeah. formula so many times, and you definitely can't replicate mcturnan's you know attention or debont's cinematography on it you know yeah <laughs> all those over the shoulder shots when he's just going up the staircases you know i've seen so many of those shots in something like rogue one you know what <laughs> you know, it lost in that because i mean now the whole thing about die hard is whether it's a christmas movie or not like everyone like oh my like, god <laughs> like they're uh, coming up with this original like it's original to them like hey do you do you think die hard's a christmas movie and then they look at you knowingly waiting for you to laugh but um people forget like how yeah it's action-packed there's the one-liners there's the christmas movie debate if you're still into that but it looks really good it's shot really awesome like yeah, it is. just the poster of uh, him jumping out of the exploding building <laughs> just an amazing shot iconic and not every cinematographer that can say that. And he has a number of, maybe they're not as well known as what's from Die Hard, but he has a number of iconic shots. Oh, yeah. I, I saw The Hunt for Red October. Uh, 
I saw the picture of uh, uh, who was it, uh, Connery and one of the Baldwins, I believe. Yep. Saw them standing side by side. The one who shot someone. But yeah, yeah, the one who shot someone. <laughs> I'm, I'm bad. I, I saw them. I saw that picture so many times uh, over the course of like the the five years of that from when that came out. And then, yeah, Basic Instinct. Uh, lots of shots I remember from that The Weapon Free seems to have, like, <laughs> some some shots. But I think that's just because different action units all getting together and shooting the shit. But it is what it is. At I least mean, the Weapon movies are glorious messes, and they're they're super fun. They are. They absolutely are. And for some reason, I, I, I don't remember them, like, anything. In intervals, like, Part 4 has, like, so much action every minute. And I'm like, Jesus, you know, so steroid-induced before that was even a thing with The Rock and (laughs) Kevin Hart comedies that have a random shootout. (laughs) And yet I don't remember anything from Leonard Part 6. It's really weird. No. I I don't think anyone does. I cannot (laughs) (laughs) I love the cover of that movie. (laughs) Every time I look at the cover of it, I laugh. You, you know, I know I've seen it, but it, I, I must have fallen asleep during it. It's like, <laughs> it, it's like someone roofing me or something. It's weird. <laughs> so <roofing>. Irony. <laughs> naughty, naughty uh, boy. Yes. Oh, man. Uh, so he's got so much to grab onto. Uh, how would you recommend people start with his movies? Would you recommend they see his <sighs> Paul Verhoeven stuff or start with the American blockbusters like you know, McTurnan worked on and such, and then venture on. Obviously, everyone's going to see Speed because it's like just the ingredients are all there. He, mm-hmm. I thought I was cracking up when he told how Keanu, you know, he's not known for being an ego headed guy, but he wanted to approach it because he really legit thought he could be a Shakespeare guy. And he was like, no, <laughs> just take a step back and go more for just venting your frustration shit like that and he's like it worked way better because he was way too uh he created way more barriers than what were needed and i can only imagine what it was like working with dennis hopper when apparently interviews oh yeah saying that he had loved a few things that got in there (laughs) i'm sure it was super exciting working with him oh Um, yeah i I would recommend his uh mcunion stuff for sure because uh die hard is a classic like everyone should see that movie. Sure. And, and, but then you can go from there, you can go into a spy thriller. And who doesn't like, you know, the, something like that? And Hunt for Red October for, yeah. I think it's very flawed, but but it is a very interesting and exciting movie to watch. No, totally. That's exactly my pick. I would say Hunt for Red October. That movie's got so much, it's a, it's a weird movie, but it's got a lot going for it. And it's it's semi-iconic nowadays anyway. And and then on, on his, his uh director of photography stuff the uh flatliners too for sure just as because oh, yeah. we're, we're a horror genre guys so i, I definitely lean more towards uh yeah flatliners. i'll do anything as long as it's not torture porn. <laughs> <laughs> flatliners 1990 just to get uh, that out there for yeah, a few because there was a, re- <laughs> there was a re- i mean it's more of a sci-fi movie it's yeah, often right. labeled a horror fantasy but it i mean schumacher's another one who you know varies by the movie and i think yeah. he just had a good set of just like art design on his team but it's just interesting how uh yeah with this one yeah you're how he he's basically like you say always saddled with a bunch of characters that Mm. uh i mean had he been had his career gone any differently i mean i can totally see it you know stepping back and getting to where 
you know, like he would have been asked to just do a scream knockoff or just some other just, you know, multi-character genre and it just not taking off. And he fortunately, he didn't have to be like, you know, Scorsese where he does movies with material not ready to be embraced by any kind of audience. He didn't have to do a Spielberg where, you know, I'm going to do one dramatic movie and then I'm going to do a cool adventure sci-fi movie, you know, next month. And it's yeah, just, so I'm sure it's harder him. now. Now, basically, you got to be the indie darling at Sundance or who did an A24 movie that made people freak out on the internet. And now Marvel and Fast and Furious got your number. <laughs> right, exactly. And he's shown a willingness to work with uh, commies and spoofs. So it'd be awesome to see him work on a scary movie reboot. Oh, oh still man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a Madonna video. Let's get Madonna back on the screen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's been in the news lately. As long so he's not swept away. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was the cinematography all along that yeah. messed that one up. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, uh, where, where can we find you guys on the web? Oh, boy. Pat, you go first. <laughs> okay. So, uh, we're part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network. So, you can. Find we are also there. friends with stephanie malone she is boss yeah she's awesome so you can you can find us there there's as, as you know there's a bunch of horror theme podcasts there we kind of stand out because we're not exclusively horror um we're also on apple Podcasts, we're on spotify uh, amazon music uh anywhere that you could find a podcast is basically where you'll find adventures in movies that's right and then you can find uh myself on uh, in, uh twitter actually four eyed horror at four eyed horror and that all relates right back to adventures in movies. So find us there. Adventures in movies. Oh, sorry. I'm just doing a movie trailer voice. I like for it. You. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I mean, unless you want that many Michael Bay explosions. <laughs> of course. Definitely. <laughs> Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a